One of the things that we do here is that we see the Bible as being our source of authority and wisdom from God. The Bible is, is God's word to us. It's a, a story of how He has acted since the beginning of creation and interacted with His people, how He has redeemed His people, that they had rejected Him and sinned against Him, and therefore were deserving of punishment and death, and yet uh, God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for their sin, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And then has described for us how the church and those who follow Christ have gone since then. And how we ought to interact as God's people. And my favorite way to interact with the Bible, because it is this story, because it is God's wisdom to us, is to go to the Bible and read through the Scriptures and see what is God saying to us. And as we understand how the Bible is written and and, uh, what it's trying to communicate, then we understand how to apply it to our hearts and lives. And that's the regular diet of how we interact with God's Word. I think that should be the regular diet of how we interact with God's Word on Sunday mornings. And so typically, we will go through a book of the Bible and work our way through. We recently finished the book of Romans, and we just took it section by section, passage by by passage, seeing what is God saying to us through the book of Romans. And I think it's appropriate as believers that we do that on a regular basis ourselves, that we uh, open up God's Word on a daily basis, that we work through Scripture in a systematic way so that we can see this is what God is saying to us. This is what God is speaking to us and how we ought to apply it to our lives. But there are times in which questions come to us or questions arise in our mind and we have to interact with Scripture in a little bit different way. That is, um, we have a, a, a question in our own minds about how should I interact with this? What should I do? How would God want me to respond to this situation? Or someone asks you a question and says, what do you believe about this? And in those situations, we have to go to Scripture and say, I have this question. Scripture, can you answer my question? And Scripture is not like Google. Right? It's not like Alexa. You can't just say, um, hey Google, sorry if I did something to your phone, but (laughs) you you can't just say, hey, um, how do I respond to this as a Christian? Right? And, And the Bible's not set up that way. You can't just say, hey Bible, how am I supposed to love people? Right? You, it, it doesn't work that way. There's, there's not like this, this place that you can just go and go, oh, that's where it says that. But rather, we we work through Scripture and you go back and you say, okay, given what Scripture says, what what do I believe that God is saying about this particular issue? Sometimes there are a couple of verses that speak directly to the question that you're asked. And other times, there's um, just the wisdom that's given throughout the Bible compiled. You go, this is how God would like me to, to interact with this. And so that's how we're dealing with Scripture right now. We're uh, doing a short series called our Ask series. And what we have done is we've said, would you ask people to ask a question? And the way that we put it was this way. If you could ask a Christian any question, what question would that be? 
And we got a variety of responses. Some of of them um, were very specific. Some of them were more general. Some of them were related to one another. And so we tried to take the ones that were related to each other and put them together. The very specific ones, we tried to get at the heart of what's what's the heart of this question. And so we've looked at the Scriptures to say, what does the Scripture say about um, how can you believe in something that's supernatural? Right? How can you, how can you do that? That was question number one. Question number two um, was, uh, if you, you all believe in the Bible, how come you can be divided? And so we talked about uh, division in the church and, and when should there be and when shouldn't there be division over what the Bible says. And, and this week's question is... Um, why are you afraid to love someone who lives or thinks differently than you do? Why are you afraid to love someone who lives or thinks differently than you do? Now, Christians, this is a question for you. This is a question that someone has submitted and said, when I look at Christians, my biggest question for them, if I could ask them only one thing, this would be my question. Why don't you love people who are different than you? I think we have to pause and reflect on that and take it to heart. Because my first inclination when I receive a question like that, if it's pointed at me, which in this case it is, right? Because I'm a Christian. And if this question is pointed at at me, then my first response is to be like, well, I do love people. And I get pretty defensive pretty quickly. But I, I, I think that we should stop and pause and reflect for a moment that the perception is that Christians don't love those who are different than they are. Those who think differently, or live differently, or act differently than they do. And so I I was reflecting on this and thinking about, about this question and thinking, okay, step one, are we required to love people who are different than us? Are we required to love those who are different than us? Right? Before we get into uh, are we afraid to or not, do we have to? And so I found this scripture that maybe popped into your mind right away as soon as I asked that question. Jesus was, was teaching and uh, in Luke chapter 10 verse 25 it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Oh, now, we know, right? We, we already talked this morning. We had uh, parents up here with their children, and we talked about how we ought to love God with our, all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the, the first thing we do, and we model that for our children. And then he says, and then the second thing that we do is we love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly right. 
Do those two things. That's what you ought to do. But he, just desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? How far does this extend? Like literally my next door neighbor? Or the people living in my neighborhood? All of the people in my city? Like how, how far does this I need to love people go? And Jesus replied, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's a really weird way of answering that question. <laughs> Who's my neighbor? Well, think about it this way. There was a guy going from Wilsonville to Portland. All right. But Jesus is going to bring this story and he's going to tell him this story to help drive the point home. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he had come to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I don't know how much you know about who the Samaritans were, compared to who um, the Israelites were. But um, Samaritans were not highly regarded people. They were those other people, those half-breeds, those people over there, the, the butt of all the jokes, a priest, a rabbi, and a Samaritan walked into a bar, right? That kind of a person. If you're waiting for the rest of that joke, I don't actually know it. <laughs> but, but these were the, the people that, that you would not have associated with. They, people would actually, to get from um, one part of Israel to another part of Israel, you had to go through Samaria, and they would go around. So that they would not defile themselves by entering into this area where the Samaritans were. But a priest and a Levite, those, those guys, these are highly respected people. Highly religious people. And yet when they came by, they passed by on the other side and ignored. They saw somebody in need. Somebody who had been um, beaten and left for dead. Robbed of everything that they had. And they came by and they saw them and they knew, oh, I know what's happened here. I can, I can see what's happened here. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to engage with that. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they didn't want to get their hands dirty. 
Maybe they didn't want to get robbed themselves. But for whatever reason, the person passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to the place where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. That's a lot of love. He comes alongside, sees the problem, stops, helps, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, walks the rest of the way, finds an inn, pays for the inn, stays overnight, taking care of him, bandaging up his wounds, then tells the person who's uh, responsible for this inn, here's enough money to cover for a while. If it takes more, I'll come back and pay the more so that this person is properly cared for. Ridiculously generous. Ridiculously generous. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Now the interesting thing to me about this story, and in, the, in my reading of it this time, Right? Because I'm thinking in terms of loving other people. People who think differently and act differently and live differently than I do. And this example flips it on its head. Right? Because, yes, this is an example of loving with a ridiculous, generous love. But the person who's held up as the example to follow is the other weirdo. The question is, who should we love? Who do I have to love? But the example of the person that we should love like is the person that this guy that's asking the question would normally go, but not them, right? I mean, when we're talking about loving my neighbor, we're talking about like the people that live on either side of me, right? Or maybe my neighborhood. Or, or maybe the people from my church. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. The people from the other sides of the, side of the tracks, if they loved somebody who was in your neighborhood like this, you should love like that. He uses the Samaritan as the example. So let's say you were driving from here to Portland, right? Somebody's driving from, from here to Portland and they, they broke down and on the side of the road they, they had to pull over. And then because they were vulnerable on the side of the road, somebody came along and stole all of their stuff and beat them up. And so now they're there with a broken down car and they're all beat up and all their stuff is gone. And an EMT comes by 
and goes, no thanks. And passes right on by. And you can use any number of examples that you want. It could be a doctor, it could be a pastor, it could be a police officer, it could be any number of people that you would think should stop. It could be any general Christian. But no. No. It wasn't that who comes by this third time. What we're talking about is um, a homosexual minority abortion provider who stopped to help. And loved in a ridiculously generous way. Oh, my buddy, he owns a car mechanic, and so uh, I'll have your car towed so that he can repair it. And I will provide a hotel for you, and I will make sure that all of your needs are taken care of. I'm going to pay the bill, and I'm going to tell Doubletree that if you need anything else, they should charge it to my credit card. That's the way that we ought to love. That's the way that we ought to love. And here's the interesting thing. If we go back to the actual question, why are we afraid to do that? It's not the question from in the church, right? The question from in the church is, man, that sounds really hard. How would I do that? But the question from outside the church is, it doesn't look like you're doing that at all. The biggest question that I have for Christians is, how come you don't do this? That is so convicting. What do you mean, why don't I do that? It's just like the number two commandment. Love God, love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? All those weirdos out there who are different than you. They're your neighbor. Why don't you do that? Why don't you love them? I think we don't do it because it's hard. It's hard. I've got places to go. I've got things to do. How much is this going to cost me? If you start loving people, it's expensive. It costs money. It costs time. It costs energy. I'm sure the Samaritan didn't have anything better to do with his time anyway. I mean, he's a Samaritan after all. He's just walking around. But it cost him all night. It cost him the time. He got his hands dirty. His donkey had to do the work. He put, it, he, he put the guy on his donkey and then he walked. That's a lot. I want to acknowledge that loving people is hard. If it was easy, we wouldn't have anybody wondering why we don't do it, because we'd all do it. But the thing about loving people is that it costs us something. That's what loving people looks like. So it's hard. We don't do it on accident. We have to do it on purpose. We have to do it intentionally. Nobody accidentally loves you. 
They love you on purpose. It's really easy to tell somebody, like one of your kids or your spouse or a friend, oh, I really love you, when they give you a present. Right? Moms, on Mother's Day, when the kids are bringing you the presents, oh, I love my kids. But we know that the actual love comes at two in the morning. The actual love comes at two in the morning when they are up again. Because who knows why? I've checked all the things. Do you need a diaper? No. Are you hungry? No. Are you gassy? No. What is the problem? Sleep, child! Or they grow a little older. They need a drink of water again. They need to be tucked in again. They need to use the bathroom again. Or they get a little older and you're waiting for them to come home. Those are the times, right? Those are the times that we know that you're loving. Because it's costing you. It's costing you time. It's costing you effort. It's costing you resources. It is costing you. And it's hard to do that with someone that you gave birth to. It is hard to do that with someone that is living in your house that you're loving on them. It's hard to do that with a family member. And now when we start talking about Samaritans, no thanks. I don't have time for that. It's an, isn't it enough that I would love my family and love the people from my church? To bring them a meal. After they have a kid, I'm going to bring them a meal. Isn't that enough? Well, no, that's a given. The Scriptures talk about, we, we know, you know that you do that in the church. We know that you love people in the church. That's how we know that you are Christians, by your love for one another. But now we're talking about extending that beyond the church, beyond the family, Showing hospitality to the strangers, loving the weirdos. Taking care of those who are different than you. And it's going to take discipline and it's going to take effort and it's going to take focus. And I, I, I think that this is um, the most generous reason that I can come up with that people don't do it. The most generous reason that I can come up with that people don't do it is because it costs a lot and it's really hard and they just feel like they don't have the time or the money or the, the energy to love people who are different than they are. But what we recognize is that there are other reasons that we don't also, right? We, we don't love them because they're different than we are. Because they think differently than we do. If you're on the left, they're on the right. If you're on the right, they're on the left. And it's really hard to, to love the people that are on the, the wrong side of the aisle, right? It, it, it's really hard to love the people that are doing things that you don't agree with. It's really hard to love the people who are different than you are. 
In, in uh, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is walking along and he's doing a lot of different things. But in Luke 5.27, it says, After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is intentionally loving the people that everybody else hates, that everybody else looks down on. He intentionally comes alongside a tax collector and recruits him to be one of his 12 followers. A tax collector! And so that tax collector does the thing that tax collectors do when they find a new friend. They throw a party. Hey, everybody! Come meet Jesus! He's awesome! I'm going to have a big barbecue. We're going to have a party. And everybody comes. And the Pharisees come and they look and they go, Is that... That's Jesus in there. What is He doing hanging out with them? What is He doing with all those tax collectors and sinners? I can only imagine the scandal. Can you imagine the scandal if I went to a party like that? There would be talk in the church, I'll tell you. <laughs> Do you know where Pastor Travis was on Saturday night? Can you believe he has the guts to get up on Sunday morning and preach to us about holiness? The people he was hanging out with? The things that they were saying, I, I don't know. I, don't, I had a lot of respect for him, but I'm not so sure anymore. It sounds silly, but it's real. It's real. We wonder, what will they think if I go there? If I hang out with him, if I hang out with her, if I take care of them, if I go to that party, shouldn't I be a witness to them? Shouldn't I be the kind of witness that says, oh, I'm sorry, I don't do parties like that? Because I go to church. I don't go to parties like that. I'm sorry, I've got a church thing. So that when you get together with your life group and you're talking about it, you can say, oh yeah, I got invited to this party, but I didn't go. As though somehow that makes us more holy because we don't associate with those people. Because those who are Christ followers are set apart and holy and don't associate with them. So there becomes this us and them thing. 
And the religious leaders of the time are going to Jesus and they're saying, hey, how come you're hanging out with them? And he says, because they need God. And so I'm going to hang out with them and I'm going to love on them. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's a lot of fun, but I'm going to hang out with them and I'm going to love on them. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus is talking and he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they can get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And I find myself asking myself questions like this. But wouldn't I be endorsing their sin? Wouldn't I, wouldn't I be endorsing their sin if I lend to them so that they can do that? Then aren't I endorsing their sin? If I love on them, care for them, take, walk with them, wouldn't I be endorsing their sin? No. No, you're not endorsing their sin. You're loving on them. You can't love on them from over here. I love you! You, you, you. And they shout back, but we need something! And you're over here going, I can't hear you! Or, I don't love you quite that much! You see, the perception is that we don't love people because we disagree with them. Because we say, that's sin. That's not God-honoring. And if they don't believe in God, we would expect that that's how they're going to behave in ways that are not honoring to God because they don't know Him and they don't love Him. And it's not going to help to stand over here and go, that's not right! With your kids, you're trying to teach them right from wrong. You're trying to show them what it means to follow God. And the way that you do that is you walk alongside them and you model for them. Right? Are they really going to just hear it from you because you yelled at them? And then they're going to know what to do? They're going to look at you and they're going to say, 
I see how they follow God. And I'm with them up close and I see them every day and I see the way that they love me and I see the way that they interact with other people and I know what it means to follow God because I'm following them. I'm following my parents. But if you just stand back from a distance and shout instructions at them, they're going to miss some of it. They don't get it. But when you're right up close and you're walking alongside, then they see the things that are different. And they see and feel that you really do love them. Because it's really hard to say, I love you, I just don't agree with your choices. They go, no, I, I don't think you do love me. Because you're not endorsing what I've chosen for myself. No, I really do. It's just, it's just I don't agree with you on those things. How would they know? You're just over there in the corner shouting. We cannot allow love to be defined as whether or not you endorse my behavior. I'm, don't hear me advocating for that. I'm not. But we ought to be close enough, loving well enough, that we look like really strange people to them. You are a conundrum to me. Because on the one hand, you tell me you don't agree with my behavior and you don't agree with the choices that I'm making or the things that I'm doing. And at the same time, you're walking with me, helping me bear the burdens of the things that I brought upon myself. And when it comes to time to need somebody to talk to, you're right there. And if I need something, you're right there. And if I need a hand with something, you're right there. And what I don't understand is, how come we disagree with one another and you can tell me that I'm wrong about so many things and yet I feel so loved by you? That's the kind of relationship that we should have. Because that's the kind of relationship we have with God. That Jesus so loved us, He looked at us and saw we were these filthy, rotten sinners not deserving of His grace or love or mercy. And He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take on the form of a man so that I can be like you and I'm going to walk alongside you and I'm going to bear your burdens to the point of death on the cross so that you will know how much I love you. As I tell you, you are a sinner going to hell unless you repent and return back to me. And if we are loving in that kind of a way, people will hear the message of hope of Jesus in a radically different way than they hear it when you're shouting from the side of the road waving a sign. Even if it's a very nuanced sign like, I hate the sin, not the sinner. Again in Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We, as Christians ought to encourage and support one another who leave us to go find the one. So that we might rejoice with them when they return. We want to love on people really, really well. So you've heard me advocate lots of things. I think that on Sunday mornings, the best place that you can be is here, worshiping with God's people. I think the best place that you can be on an evening is in a life group, fellowshipping with people who believe like you do, who can encourage you in the difficult walk of life and walk of faith. But there are times when you will have to leave those things so that you can engage, support, love, care for those who are lost. And my hope is that instead of the life group or the church looking at that and going, did you hear where they were last night? That instead the church or the life group can say, what can we do to help? Because what a ridiculous testimony of love. When you're engaged with one person who's not a Christian and doesn't like Christians, but it finds themselves in need and you come alongside them to help and say, actually, I have some friends who would also like to help. And all of those friends turn out to be from your church? What kind of ridiculous, generous love is this? So the question starting, that we started off with was, why are you afraid To love those who think differently and act differently than you do. And it could be because of the cost. And it could be because of the perceptions. It could be because you think you're going to affect your own holiness. But the reality is that the criticism is fair. And the command of God is clear. That we are to love We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love our enemies. To bless them and do good to them. And so let's pray for God's grace that we might do that well and not tarnish the reputation of Him in our community. Let's pray. Father, it hurts. It hurts to be accused of being unloving when you have told us so clearly that we are to love. And so I pray for a restoration of your reputation and the reputation of your church as those who are loving. Father, I pray that we would not be uncompromising about what is true, but yet known for our love. 
I pray that that uh, ministries that express your love would be uh, made known. I pray for um, the foster parents night out and for coffee cart and for celebrate recovery and for other ministries that are um, reaching out and supporting and loving and providing practical, uh, tangible help to those who are in need. And Father, I pray for the people in this church that you would help them to love their neighbors well. And I pray that as a community, we would help one another to do that. That we would support and encourage one another. That we would step in and help when we can. That we would model for each other what it looks like to love sacrificially those with whom we may disagree deeply. So that we may be known not as those who are distant and opposed, but those who are near and who are loving. And we ask for this, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the reputation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.